want to start today with this question. It's on the screen, so I'd just like you to read it for a second and think about it for a second. I'm going to ask you to maybe uh, consider uh, giving me some answers as to what you think, but it's an important question for today. You think about it, especially kind of interpersonally, what traits or traits, what traits do you most admire in others? Loyalty. Loyalty. Kindness. Kindness. Honesty. Honesty. Integrity. Love. What's that? Love. love. Yeah, you can do love. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Compassion. Yeah. All right. Well, all of you are wrong. The, um... <laughs> are you going to redeem this, Gaines? Humble confidence. Oh, my God. <laughs> Gaines Bagby for the win. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, wherever... Gaines got that great answer. There was a survey that was done uh, a couple years ago, and then a story was written in Forbes magazine about this very question. What trait do you most admire in others? And the answer, more than anything else, was humility, humbleness. And a culture that is obsessed on itself and its own branding and people paying attention to me, the thing we most admire in others is humility and humbleness. And this is what uh, was written in the article when it says, why do people admire uh, humility? Why do they admire humble people? It said this, humble people are not constantly looking over another's shoulder to point out that they do wrong, not even when they have the power and authority to do so. They are engaging because they do not pretend they are perfect. They acknowledge their limitations and seek to grow and learn. They acknowledge their limitations and seek to grow and learn. I invite you to hold on to this, to kind of put this in your pocket today and hold on to it for the next few minutes because it's important and we'll come back to it. As we dive into this text, which is from Luke chapter 14, from our lectionary this day, verses 1 and then 7 through 14, I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, and then the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today, we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So humility, humbleness. In verse 12, it specifically says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We are to seek humility and to humble ourselves, that thing which other folks most admire in others. At first, it might seem very simple and straightforward what this is saying and how to do it, but I promise you, as longer you sit with this, the task of seeking humility becomes more and more complicated. First and foremost, for example, can we even agree on a definition of humility and humbleness? Uh, because some of the cultural definitions or the ways it's used in our society aren't necessarily positive. For example, I've shared with you all before that I was someone that played basketball in high school, and by played, I meant sitting on the bench and watching uh, as our high school team played. Uh, I was the person that got up, came in the game when we were winning or losing by 30 points, and the game was already decided. But what I haven't shared with you is that our team was really good, very, very good. I don't know why you're laughing. That's it, we really were. We were really, really good. We were actually kind of like a powerhouse program in, in Atlanta. We had a guy that went and played Division I basketball, and there are very few high school basketball players who do that. We had another guy that went and played Division I football, who was an amazing athlete. We had another person that went and played Division Three basketball. We were a great team. We won most every game we were in. We won, won most summer tournaments that we played in. Uh, I, it was actually really fun to be on the bench because I didn't have to exert myself and we would win uh, so much of the time. We were really, really good. And this one day we were playing and we were playing against another really good team and people knew it was a big game and there was a lot of hype around it. And we went into the game feeling very confident and they annihilated us. Like it was so bad of a loss that I got to play. That's how bad of a, it was like, it, no, it can't mess it up, put Daniel in, right? Like you just sort of go in. And after the game, something our coach said and something that other people said to us, like that was a humbling defeat. It was a humbling loss. And I can promise you there were none of us who played in that game that were sitting there going, we're more like Jesus, yay. That's a good thing. We want to experience that again. And in fact, Jesus acknowledged that hum humility may be something that's hard, maybe something that's difficult to experience. He says, uh, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humble. And there is a painful process when humility is not something we choose, but it is something that happens to us. That was the experience we had of our team. We were humbled. We didn't choose humility. We were humbled in our loss. And Jesus says that that can't happen. But he says there's another way of thinking about it. That being humble and, and humbling ourselves is not something that's just done to us, but it's something we can pursue. It's something we can choose. It's something we can work for. We can humble ourselves. I think a good definition of uh, humility comes from the author C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. If any of you are friends, uh, fans of Ted Lasso, this uh, quote should sound familiar. It was used in season two uh, to Nate, the assistant coach, when he's in his parents' kitchen. They didn't attribute the, the quote to the right source. This is from a Christian author, C.S. Lewis, um, and talking about humility. And he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When we are humbled, like my basketball team was, we might think of ourselves less for a little while. It makes you feel like less. Lewis says that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying to think less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that is the process that I think Jesus is saying. You can choose that. You can choose to start thinking of other people more rather than yourself all the time. 
And there is blessings for you and for others that come through that. So how do we do that? How do we actually start becoming more humble? How do we start pursuing humility in our lives? Well, what I believe that we do is that we're supposed to focus on a word that's here. It's a word that we often only use at Lent in the church, but the word is that we are to enter into the action of repentance. I'm going to invite you to repent this week. And the word repentance, when you demystify it, really means two things. It means first, we're supposed to confess. We're supposed to admit that uh, we're not perfect and that maybe we like to be exalted. We like to be recognized. We like to be closer to the seat of honor than the lower seat. And that second off, we're to change our actions and move in a new direction. We're to change our habits and our behaviors. I wonder if, conf- if, if repentance might be a way we could think of how to move towards humility as Jesus is talking about here. So first off, we need to confess. What do you confess gives you a sense of being exalted? Now, that's not language we use a lot. So, ling- so maybe it's a way of thinking of it as what gets you higher on the table in your own eyes, right? Like we've, a lot of us have been around long enough that we know if we went into the banquet and there's the seat of the greatest honor here and the seat of the lowest position here, we wouldn't go for the seat of the greatest honor. We know we're not supposed to do that. But most of us would be hedging in that direction, right? We're like, Joe's here and uh, Sally's here. I'm definitely above them. Uh, you know, I may not be at this level and I don't want to be moved down. But, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I'm like upper half. If we're grading on a curve, I'm definitely on this side of the table. And these are the reasons that I think I'm not at the lowest end. I'm, you know, I'm smart. I, 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 I'm moral. I, I try to follow the rules. Uh, I'm a good friend. Uh, I go to church. I, I, I give money. I'm generous. I share. You know, I, I'm like, I, maybe not here. I get that. But I'm more here than here. I can tell you who should be here. And when we look at the party, I'll tell you who should be there. (laughs) It's whatever those things are that give you a sense of some importance, of identity. Those are the things that I think we have to pay attention to that is what Jesus says when we exalt ourselves. It gives us a sense of importance, a sense of being. I'm going to share an example with you so this is not just theoretical. And I want to say this. I'm being vulnerable in this. And when I share this example, don't come at me with pitchforks saying that you don't deserve to be here anymore. I know I don't deserve to be here. Grace abounds, and we know that. But I'm going to share with you an example from my own life, not so that you can leave here going, boy, Thomas Daniel is depraved, which is true, but that you can leave here thinking about your own life and how you do this, okay? So that this moves out of the theoretical. A couple of weeks ago, I was invited to speak at a conference. And in our world, it was kind of a big deal to, to get invited to do this. And I was excited about it. And I was like, you know, it's one of those things that, that, that I was pleased with and that, that uh, they give you like a year's advance notice. And so your calendar's clear and all this stuff. And, you know, we've been invited. The committee would like to invite you and da, da, da. I was like, yeah, I'd love to do this. And I checked ahead at my calendar and I actually have a conflict. I couldn't believe it like that far in advance, but I had to write him back and say, no, I'm not able to come. I hope you'll consider me in the future. Thank you very much. Da, 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 da. I'm sure you'll get a great speaker. A few days later, I'm in a group text conversation with a bunch of pastors, and one of whom, who I really love and who is very gifted, says in the group text, I'm going to be speaking at this conference. And I've been invited, and I hope you guys will be praying for us. And everybody else is writing back going, oh, man, we'll be praying for you. What an honor. This is such a great thing. Uh, This is so wonderful. And I wrote back saying all of that exact same stuff. I'm saying you're going to do great, and he is going to do great, and I'll be praying for you, and I will be praying for you. And I mostly meant it. (laughs) 
but there was a little bit of me that wanted to write back and go, I got invited first. <laughs> Silver medal's not bad. Silver medal's not bad. Don't feel ashamed. I just, you're gonna do great. Now, again, don't come at me with pitchforks. I didn't do it. I wasn't like wrestling in the night with this deep, dark thing. But there was a bit of me that when I saw it just, you know, right? I know you have these parts of you as well. I know you do. That's the stuff to confess. And if you're sitting there going, no, I, I can't relate to that at all, then talk to the people that know you well and ask them, how do I find a sense of importance that gives me, is it, it, and if they look at you going, I don't know, you don't have it, they're not telling you the truth. You might be surprised, you might not, to know that your pastor had this little bit of him going, I won. I just realized this is on live stream. I hope that he doesn't ever watch this. It's just illustrating a point. This is a game changer to have this. And then it's like recorded and online. And... Anyway, um, we're, I literally just lost my place. This is the problem of not having a manuscript. Yeah, oh, Beth, thank you, yeah, okay. Okay, anyway, the people that know you can help you find those places where you exalt yourself, right? You might be surprised that I have that part of me. My wife is not surprised. I'm being serious. My wife is not surprised that there's a part of me, a little bit of me that wants to write back saying, I won. And the cool part is when someone says, I don't love you despite that stuff, but I see that and love you. Ask the people close to you how you exalt yourself, how you find a sense of importance. I read a great book on sabbatical, and it was talking about how God's love transforms us. And what it says that how God loves transforms us is when we confess, the first that part of repentance, we confess. It's not that God looks and says, I love you despite those things. But God says the way that that part of you, that ugly part, that marred part, that self-centered exaltation part, the way that's going to change is let me love all of you and feel my love for you in that place. I don't love you despite it. I love all of you. And as my love invades those places that you don't like admitting out loud, that's how love changes you, is when you realize the love of God is that big. So the first thing we gotta do is we have to confess. And I invite you to think about that in your own life and own journey. What does confessing, that you'd rather be on this side of the table than on this side of the table, and why that's justified in your mind, why does that make sense to you? That's the first part of repentance. The second part, though, is we have to change our habits. We have to move and turn in a new direction. We have to start building new behaviors. And Jesus says this here when he says, you can humble yourself. Now, how do we do that? How do we start acting and doing actions that build humility in us? The Apostle Paul writes about this as well, and he actually says that the way you do it is not by like sitting here going, I don't know, what should I do? He says that you need to follow the one who is the example of humility, Jesus, the one teaching this parable. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, and it's going to sound very similar to the language of Luke 14. He writes to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and found himself in appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Paul says is that how we humble ourselves is to follow in Jesus' ways. We are a community that's encouraging one another to follow Jesus, where we live, work, and play. Jesus, who among any living being had that right to sit at the highest table of honor and the place of honor at the table, comes into this world and intentionally says, I choose the lowest seat, the lowest form of death, the lowest form of death that existed in the Roman world, the one that was uh, only reserved for the worst and the most despised of people. And the reason that Jesus chooses this is that so that every other seat can be glorified so that every other seat at the table is lifted up and glory and exaltation is brought to that so that you and I can be lifted up. Paul says, let the same mind be in you. I wonder what that might mean for you as you follow Jesus where you live, work, and play. Think about your, where you live. What would it mean this week if rather than just kind of thinking about yourself and what you want, how things are going to work, if you walked into your home and said, I am going to pray about, strategize about, stay up at night of how do I bring glory to the other people in this home? How can I do the most menial uh, and thankless of things so that others receive what God wants to do in their life? What would that mean in your workplace if you walked in this week with that kind of mindset? So much in our work, we, we want attention, we want validation. What would it mean to walk in there and to say, I want to humble myself to the point that my coworkers are lifted up and receive glory and exaltation for what they do? That's what the mindset of Christ is. That's what he's saying that he chose. I was thinking this week about uh, an example of this. It's a, it's a name you probably don't know, but it's a name that influenced me a lot. A, a gentleman by the name of Benson Karanja. Benson, when I met him 20 years ago, was the president of a small college in Atlanta. Uh, he was an incredibly respected person. He was a member of the church where my wife Beth and I first served in Atlanta. And, um, and he had just an amazing story. He had uh, grown up and been born in Kenya and grown up there, but had come to the United States to get an undergraduate degree, being accepted to a college. And to pay for college, he worked. Uh, he had to work as a janitor in um, uh, the, the school, and he worked his way to get a master's degree, and then he worked his way to get a doctorate. He became a professor, a dean, and then when I had met him, was the president of this small college. It was an amazing journey that this individual took. Like a lot of people, I just kind of wanted to like, learn from him. I was very young at the time, just to, to, to be around him, to, you know, to reflect on, on leadership. And, and I was sitting in his office one day, and he was talking about the things he thinks about uh, as the president of the school, thinks about as a leader. And he talked about how important it was to bring honor to everybody in the organization. He said, it's probably the most important job of a president is how do I lift up every other person, the faculty, the deans, the, 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 uh, the janitors, and everyone else. I said, well, how do you think, like, what does that mean to lift up everyone else? Like, what does that actually look like? He goes, he goes, well, I think of it like this. He said, one of the most important things I think about each day as the president of this institution is the trash. He said, you know how this place would suffer if the janitors weren't able to do their job or if we didn't have them? They are an indispensable part of this place working well, and most of us never think of their trash. 
He said, you know, one of the ways that makes the trash worse is that when people throw liquids in the trash, they throw like half-finished coffee mugs and uh, uh, coffee cups and tea and everything else. And when it goes into the trash, he said, as I was a janitor through the years, that was the worst because somebody has to eventually clean that up. It makes somebody's life a lot worse. He said, if I can take an extra 10 seconds and pour something out before I throw it in the trash, that's going to make a difference to the janitors and the important work they're doing. I think a lot about what am I putting in the trash and is that making someone's life Life harder or easier. And he said, and often what I'll do is I'll write thinking notes, I'll write Bible verses, I'll seek to encourage and leave it on the trash cans for the janitors to come, letting them know how much I'm thinking and praying for them. Imagine how different this world would be if every president of every organization that existed was spending that amount of time thinking about how they serve the people that clean their trash cans. Imagine how different our world would become like that if that sort of mindset existed. And the reason a lot of people like myself wanted to sit and learn from a person like Benjamin is what, Benson is what's the trait we most admire in others. Humility when we see it. You're drawn to it. I was drawn to him like so many others were. What would it mean for you to confess how we like to feel important to be exalted? And secondly, what would it mean for us to build habits of the mind of Christ, seeking to serve and to lift others up where we live, work, and play? It might absolutely radically change your world this week. I want to end by also talking about how we are going to lean into this in the weeks ahead as a church in some different ways. Bring a graphic up here on the screen as we close. This is a graphic I hope you have seen. If not, you will see it. Uh, it's in your bulletin. It's in our fall ministry guide. Uh, and this is going to be a process that we're going to be engaging in as a congregation with a gentleman named Alan Hilton, who's going to lead us in a process of what are called courageous conversations. Um, Alan is uh, someone that taught New Testament at Yale for many different years, and he's now involved in a ministry of seeking to bring wholeness and healing uh, in our country. <laughs> Not that we need that at all, but uh, that's the work that he has left and is called to do. Um, Alan's going to be with us on a Sunday. He and I are going to do a dialogue sermon together in our services one Sunday in October. And then on two different Wednesday nights, you are going to be invited to come here. We're going to have dinner together as a church and then around tables engage in some intentional conversations. Intentional conversations about what's taking place in our world. Intentional conversations about what's taking place in our culture and how it is that we as Christians are called to engage in that and enter into that. Now, I want you to know that based on conversations I've had uh, already about this, there are going to be a few of you who hear this like, we're going to be getting into stuff, and you are like, this is great. It's been too long. I'm ready. I spend nine hours a day behind the same news source. I am full of information that no one else has. I am ready to come into this and enlighten the world with what I think and with what I know. I am ready to come off the high ropes at everybody with, with what the, what's going on and how we should do it. And I want you to know if that's your mindset, you're going to be sorely disappointed in what this is. This is not going to be a WWE cage match like we see so often in our society right now of how we talk about issues. We're going to seek to model and do something different that the world can't do. And for those of you who are sitting there going, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please. It is exhausting for me to think about this right now. I want you to know this is not something we're entering into lightly. Session is engaged with Alan. I've engaged with Alan. Uh, our pastoral staff is engaged with Alan. He is an amazing person. 
It is going to be a joy for us to have him here. And this is not, and I want to encourage you to give this a try because it's not going to be a WWE cage match. The worry we have right now is that politics and our political divisions is just yanking the fabric, as David Brooks says, of our society apart, tearing the fabric of it. Our social trust is at uh, historically low numbers. And it affects families who are being torn apart. It affects individuals uh, who have lost friendships in recent years. It affects institutions. It affects what's taking place in elections. It affects what's taking place in our government. And we cannot turn a blind eye to this. We cannot turn a blind eye to this because every one of our lives is impacted by it. What Alan's going to invite us to do, and I think our fear when we talk about this is like, oh no, politics is going to take over the church. It's not going to happen. What we're going to be doing is letting our discipleship take over politics. Because our primary identity is not as Republicans, it's not as Libertarians, it's not as Democrats, it's not as Independents. Our primary identity is as followers of Jesus. And what that means is, is that we are to be marked by what Jesus is talking about here. Our humility. Because if there's anything that discussions that are taking place about politics in our society right now lack, and both the left and the right equally lack this, in my opinion, it is humility. It is a flame-throwing self-righteousness that just annihilates other people and anyone that believes different from them. And what we as Christians are supposed to be different is that we are to confess that we are not perfect, that our understanding of things is not perfect, that our viewpoints, as deeply held as your convictions are, and I'm not asking any of you not to have deeply held convictions, are not perfect. I feel very confident when I get to heaven that the Lord is going to look at me on what I believe around some of the convictions I have on issues and go, you missed that one. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I felt really good about it. And the Lord's like, you really, really didn't get it right. I am not perfect in anything, and including my viewpoints. And therefore, I need to hold my convictions, but hold them with the humility that does not dehumanize anybody that sees things a little differently than me. That's what humility looks like in action. Some of the most important conversations I've had as a pastor of this church are when I've, I've kind of said what I might think around something, and I've gone to lunch or gone to coffee or had a conversation with someone who saw things a little different. And sometimes we've agreed to disagree and to love each other and to be community. Sometimes I've kind of thought and actually gone, you know what? I actually see what they're saying. That makes sense to me. I hadn't thought of it that way before. And your understanding goes from here to here. This is going to be a process for us to sit around tables and not have community torn apart, but to build it up. To exercise the ability to hold our convictions, but do them with humility to listen to different stories, to listen to different people and why they think what they do and to love one another and walk with one another is what Brooks says are weavers of the fabric of society rather than those who tear it apart. And Alan, I believe, can lead us in this, can lead us in a different way of modeling for the world. And if we do that, friends, if we do that in this culture and the way things are right now, we will shine like stars in the midst of the generation around us because what is the trait people most admire in another? It's humility. It might be the greatest evangelistic thing we've ever done. 
to sit there and say we can hold our convictions, but we can do it with a humility that also listens. And that if we can do that, something new can emerge. And so this week I invite you, yes, to think about this in your own life, where you live, where you work, where you play, but to also know as a congregation that this is not going to be one of those lessons and sermons that, I mean, I hope none of them are, but that we just move on. But we're going to lean into Christ's call here and to see what an Easter sunrise might look like. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would lead us in this call to humility as individuals, as a congregation. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.